Welcome to the Mind Your Business Podcast. This is Dr. Carmetria Burton. In today's episode, I speak with entrepreneur, real estate mogul, humanitarian, and author who coined the phrase, actionaire, Dr. Michael Roberts. I'm really excited to speak with him today. This is our first virtual recording during the coronavirus pandemic, and we wanted to make sure we continued providing great content. Today, we talk about how he has adapted to the coronavirus pandemic while being a hotel owner, the growth mindset you need to adopt for being successful, and the difference between being rich and being wealthy. You know, today, my guest is one that I am so excited to have. When I, you know, when I think of iconic entrepreneurs, when I think of seasoned entrepreneurs, when I think of entrepreneurs that continues to relevantly reinvent themselves, I think of Dr. Michael Roberts, and I'm so happy to have him as my guest today. Dr. Roberts, welcome. Welcome to Mind Your Business. It's indeed a pleasure to be with you, and what a tremendous service you're providing for your audience uh, to be able to uh, bring important subject matters as it relates especially to the business world to those who are struggling to become entrepreneurs or capitalists for that matter uh so i congratulate you for this show and uh, thank you for having me oh thank you my pleasure my pleasure so we're going to get started we have so much to learn from you today and i always like to just give my listeners the background on my guest. So you hail from St. Louis, right? Tell us what, what life was like for you growing up in St. Louis, the lessons you've learned and those that are still with you today. Well, I am a, um, the eldest of four. Uh, my father, Victor Roberts, uh, who today is uh, 98 years old, and still driving. <laughs> Spent about 39 years at the post office. He was also a World War II veteran, uh, and he was the charter member of Kappa Alpha Psi Paternity in St. Louis, the paternity that I belong to and my son. Well, I think all the men in my family are Kappas, by the way. <laughs> the uh, Watching my folks uh, work through the process of, of providing the best quality of life that uh, they can afford put us in a very interesting position because, you know, we assumed everything was fine, but the reality was, you know, it was always a struggle to make sure ends were being met. And as a result, I witnessed as a child, and I also helped in this process, uh, well, my folks would spend some time uh, on the side, a side business, having a catering company. And when I was uh, probably nine or eight, I was making meatballs for for the <laughs> for the food because my hands were just small enough to make the perfect size meatball. <laughs> we, uh, I was watching this without realizing this was the movements of. Um, entrepreneurship. And uh, although it was an intent to make ends meet, it was also a business. Uh, when did I first really capture sort of the reality of, of entrepreneurship? 
was as I got a little older, my dad bought a, a, a gas lawnmower, and my job, my chore, was to cut the grass. And as I would cut the grass, I would be paid approximately five bucks. Now, my neighbors thought I did a pretty good job. So they uh, hired me to uh, cut their grass, and they gave, uh, interestingly enough, uh, $10 for those services. I guess my conclusion was working for my dad was a job. Working for my neighbors was a business. One paid 10 bucks, one paid five bucks. So I think that launched my entrepreneurial spirit, which uh, continued on as I built over a hundred companies, taking three companies public and a variety of businesses we'll get into a little later. But I'm a public school graduate. Uh, I went to college and law school, uh, studied internationally at the World Court at The Hague and at the International Institute of Human Rights, sort of traveled the world in a sense. And for, uh, you know, a guy coming out of the inner city of St. Louis, I think that I was able to recognize the importance of, of a global exposure. And by creating that mindset, I, I believe that it allowed me to realize that there was varieties of businesses and, and qualities of life, if you will, that required, I think, uh, success as a entrepreneur to make it realistic and, 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 uh, and to be able to finance it. So long story short, uh, St. Louis being a Midwest city, uh, relatively modest, moderate, and somewhat conservative, I guess, uh, allowed me to create the types of work ethic values that one needs uh, out here in the, uh, in the business world. Mm -hmm. That is so critical. So you saw it, you know, as young as eight years old, catering business, then you went to cutting grass. So would you say entrepreneurs are born or created? Well, I think that the human being, uh, all human beings are born with a, let's call it a spirit of purpose and vision. Mm -hmm. And sometimes people think that their destiny is something that's going to just pop up one day. Uh, when I finished law school, I moved two blocks from the projects where I lived for 10 years and was elected to the St. Louis Board of Aldermen. And when campaigning one day, I uh, went into a guy's house and he was sitting on his couch eating Lay's potato chips and drinking a Pepsi watching television. And so I asked the brother, I said, brother, you know, what are you doing? And what are you waiting for? And he told me he's waiting for his destiny to come to him. Uh, and that's sort of a, an indication of what people think when they use the term destiny. I believe you have to create your destiny. You have a sense of purpose. You have vision. Let's face it, we all have dreams. And we have to recognize that, you know, you develop a skill set and then you allow your dreams to 
be fulfilled. Well, how do you do that? Well, the first thing you have to do when you have a dream is you have to wake up. <laughs> then you have to sit up and stand up. And a lot of times in your dreams or your ideas, your vision, that you really uh, have people who might try to step in your way and tell you, don't become an entrepreneur because, you know, Uncle Tyrone tried that and, you know, that didn't work out. So as you wake up, sit up and stand up, frankly, sometimes you have to tell people just to shut up and get out of your way. I love it. Wake up, sit up and stand up and tell people to shut up so you can move, which take which takes me to my next question, right? Which gets you to move into action. So in your first book, Action Has No Season, tell us what inspired that book and you coined the term an actionaire. What is an actionaire? An actionaire is one who takes their dreams, their ideas, their vision and passion, and they pursue them with courage and confidence and bravado. An actionaire is someone who has eliminated the fear of failure. I ask people all the time, well, what would your life be like if you can eliminate the fear of failure? And I break it down into two words. First word is fear. Fear is just a mental construct. It's not of, it's not the wind blowing or grass growing. It's not of nature. Uh, when you were born, you were born without fear. Uh, but that's a construct that has developed in the minds of people based on what their society and their environment might lay on them. Second word, failure. I submit to you there's no such thing as failure. Uh, what do I mean by that? Every day when you wake up, you're given 86,400 seconds. That's 24 hours. And the moment you think of the moment, it's already gone. Now, there are times when you try a business, maybe even try a marriage, try a variety of experiences, and they didn't quite succeed. Well, my question then is, uh, is it a failure or was it an experience that you learned something from? And if you take that mindset and you apply it to business and to life, that is to say there's no such thing as failure, that everything is an experience within those moments and seconds that you live. This is a very existential statement here. So the actionaire is one who has eliminated the fear of failure. The actionaire recognizes that opportunities are every place, and you have to have the mindset to have the courage and confidence to be able to pursue them. But to do that, you have to take action. You can't sit and wait for it to come to you. Hence the title of my book, Action Has No Season. There is no season to wait to take action. You take it in the moment. And again, the moment you think of the moment, it's already gone. That's right. That's right. So time waits for no one, right? We have to be proactive. So what do you say to someone? They're stuck. They know they need to take action 
but they just don't know what to do. They don't know that path to start. So when do you know you need to take action and how do you get started? Well, listen, your body is always in in action, right? Even when you sleep, your heart is beating, blood is flowing, your brain is still active. You are built as an action-based creature. The only thing that stops you from moving on with your dreams and ideas is this level of, of, of paranoia you might have uh, or paralysis. It's kind of a mental paralysis, but it's a state of mind. It's a mental construct. It's not a real existing item. And therefore, you have to allow yourself to be free of it. Here's an example of what happens with people. I ask the question to my audiences when I'm speaking, uh, how many of you think outside the box? Raise your hand. And generally, there's a group of people, most raise their hand. I tell them to put your hand down because I'm going to spank you. What do I mean? If you're thinking outside the box, doesn't that presume that you are in a box? Now, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, and I, 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 I just want you to realize that sometimes you actually have placed yourself in a box, and you don't even realize it. Well, the reality is there's no such thing as a box. Uh, you know, I, if I ask a kid, you know, what's the size of your box in the hood, sometimes it's, it's, it's already a jail cell or a casket. I mean, people really allow themselves to be frustrated or locked into a job that they're not really happy with, which is a box, when in fact they can free themselves from it because there is no such thing as a box. So, again, an actionaire is one who eliminates the fear of failure, but an actionaire also recognizes that there's no such thing as a box. They are no box thinkers. So I think it's important for those of us who are listening to recognize that you may have yourself self-imposed into a position that helps keep you away from uh, those dreams and aspirations that you have. So limiting beliefs, right? Getting out of our own way, stuck in the paralysis of analysis. How do, how does one, you know, how do they jumpstart that? Right. Cause I know people that are just stuck. They're afraid there's no such thing as failure, but if someone is listening and they're stuck, what would you tell them? I would say that if that's a mental issue, that it's not something that's physical. Now, they might say, well, I don't have enough money. I need some assistance. Well, let's figure out how to pivot. For example, I'm in Detroit today at a hotel that I own. And for those who don't know, I've owned about 14 hotels around the country, 12 full-power TV stations, shopping centers. Um, uh, I have a radio station. I've built a wireless phone company. I've taken three companies public and, you know, have probably, well, according to CNN at one point, they said that I had, my companies had been valued at nearly a billion dollars. That's with a B. And I'm just a kid from the inner city, North St. Louis, who decided that 
it's just as easy to be a uh, successful person in business as to, you know, go the, the criminal route or the negative route. Uh, and I hope that I'm an example for people who are out here uh, knowing that it is possible to, to uh, break free. So if you're stuck, you know, I think that it's good to begin to have conversations with successful people. You begin to get outside of your cocoon uh, and turn into a butterfly. You know, I think that you want to succeed, you have to just have the courage and confidence to press on. Uh, and it just depends on the nature of your, your plans or your, your ideas. In Detroit, I was going to make this point. You know, the pandemic made it impossible for the hotel business really to survive. So I began to look at pivoting. What alternatives, what other challenges uh, can I put before myself to meet? And, you know, one is because this hotel, the Roberts Riverwalk Hotel, is sitting right on the Detroit River, what I call the Detroit Riviera. It is the most choice location in Detroit. But it also probably has a, a higher best use to become a residential facility. So I've begun to look at how to take this nearly four acres and convert it, uh, build uh, you know, high rises and and to convert the hotel itself into apartments that may become condos someday. Uh, part of the summer, last summer, for about three months, I was able to put homeless uh, people in who were... Uh, coming out of hospitals. A company had a contract to bring them in, non-COVID patients, I might add, uh, where they could stay for a period of time uh, with me uh, under their own supervision. I created a wing for the hotel to do that. And um, that helped a lot of people uh, during last year, during the summer months. Uh, so I was delighted to do that. So my point is you got to pivot at certain times. So if you're stuck, look at where you are, look how you got there, and then pivot. Begin to take a whole different direction. Take on something that you may have been concerned about, whether you could make it or not, and go for it. Look, when you're stuck, <laughs> you know, you don't have anything to lose, right? So uh, that's what we say, you know, go out and begin to achieve. Let's talk about wealth for a minute. I know that is um, very important um, in our community. Um, what are some of the ways that the African-American community or just communities in general, um, you know, you talk about um, buying from black businesses, the black dollars circulating. Um, how do we get back to wealth strategies? Well, that's a good question. You know, I, I, I frequently point out the fact that most people have never heard of Mike or Steve Roberts out of St. Louis. And the reason is rich people scream, but wealthy people whisper. Uh, we too frequently in our community, you know, look at someone who's got this bling bling, look at me mentality uh, where they have gold all over their fingers, necks and toes, and, and they don't have $20 in their pocket. Uh, 
it's it's fundamentally the concept of how is it that uh, you know someone can drive a a Land Rover car but have a landlord. In other words, instead of prioritizing how and where we spend our money, uh, I remember George Frazier used to say something that was pretty cute. He, he would say he would rather see a, a sister with $5,000 in a plastic bag as opposed to just walking around with a $5,000 Gucci bag and no money in it. So what we want to do is try to get people to think that you know, wealth is something that relates to sustainability for you and your family. Uh, rich folks tend to find themselves uh, blowing their money and, uh, and spending it without being very frugal uh, and not having anything sustainable, you know, for the next generation. You know, wealth is to be sustained. It's, it, it, it is to allow for you to have this base that can uh, be transferable to, uh, to generations uh, to come. And, and so I, I like to just define wealth in the, in the you know, using the, the nomenclature of uh, sustainability and being able to have cushion uh, in case there's a, a, a downside swing so that you have at least the ability to, uh, to protect yourself and your family's uh, future. Being an entrepreneur, Black-owned, minority-owned, you were a management consultant, TV station owner, several other businesses, now a hotel owner. What's the role of corporations in doing business with minorities? Well, I think it's important for corporations to to be very serious in, in, in terms of how they spread their, uh, their resources. Uh, you know, companies recognize in a given community, if they're operating uh, in a community like Detroit, uh, and listen, I, I own hotels in the past in Dallas and Houston and Shreveport, Atlanta, Tampa. I still have a ho hotel in Fort Myers. And when I look at those locations, um, you know, I think it's important for, for us to set examples of hiring people who are uh, out of the minority community. So corporations, I think, should should follow that lead. And they, they should bring people, if 20% of their business comes out of the minority community, I think that 20 to 40% of their workforce should be representative of the same community. And, uh, and, and I think the government has an obligation to continue to uh, increase its minority participation in contracts. Uh, we're taxpayers. And it looks like almost half of the country will be minority if it's not already a combined group of minorities. So it would seem to me that a a proportionate amount of business should and jobs and business uh, and opportunities should be given to those same people from the same subculture group. Mm -hmm. Good point. 
And it's, it's really a 360 approach as you look at contracting with minorities, having minorities and women um, at certain levels within the company. And if there's a franchise model, a part of the corporation's uh, revenue stream, there should be uh, minority participation and strategies to get them involved in owning franchises. Um, and I bring that up to your point, my working in the hotel industries, that's really one of the areas that I focused in is getting more minorities to own hotels and you being one of those. And, and we appreciate you for passing on the playbook um, and helping us to achieve that and what that looks like. What is the legacy that you'd like to leave? What do you, what do you, what do you hope people would say about Dr. Michael V. Roberts? That he took a word and coined it, the actionaire. Uh, and I'm hoping that at some point it'll go into Wikipedia or the dictionary. You know, black folks have created words that have made it to some of those dictionaries, but it's usually words like bling bling or bootylicious. Uh, what we need to do is have an intelligent word that has a meaning that can be interpreted and studied and viewed. And so I, I hope as an artist, an author, uh, you know, people will recognize the value of, of being an entrepreneur, the value of uh, really being a, a, a capitalist, but a capitalist with a social agenda uh, and to recognize that it wasn't easy and it takes, uh, you know, it takes many people to become successful in a business. The people who are working with you, your own family, giving you the flexibility and the time to do what's necessary, to travel if it's necessary. Uh, but also, I think it's important to make sure you are academically prepared to do the right thing and, and, and understand that to be successful, you know, there's basically two components to you, you as an individual. Uh, you have what's defined as empirical knowledge. Uh, that's, you know, the, the studying and the teaching that you've learned from school, from church, from family members, from the community, empirical knowledge. But there's another component that I think is equally if not more important, and that's instinct. Uh, and see, within your DNA, you have this cellular memory that exists that goes back for generations. Uh, you and I were not just created by our parents. Uh, we were created by thousands of people copulating and passing DNA from the origin of man. Uh, and there's not been a, a, break, a break in our DNA from the origin. Uh, people are just, they just don't pop up with spontaneous generation. The, the origin of man comes from Africa, and therefore the oldest DNA that runs through every human originated from Africa. So those who are purest in, in, in their mindset and in their body have to recognize that there are things within you that you may or may not even recognize is called instinct. 
You know, you can walk down a dark street and recognize maybe I need to cross over or go a different direction. You don't see anything. It's just your instinct. And in business, in business, I found that instinct for me <clears throat> is on parallel with my empirical knowledge. In fact, sometimes I have to rely more on instinct than what is written on a business plan or piece of paper uh, because those things just don't snap reality for you. What snaps reality is your instinct and what really happens. So you, you, you really have to recognize that, uh, that as you progress through life, you will learn things, yes. But you also must follow your instinct. And that is God-given, that is within you, that's a part of your DNA. It's, it's, it's those ancestors, those millions of ancestors that copulated to create who you are today. And, and, and people need to take a moment and, and realize that that's true and that that is within you. So, you know, in other words, here, a good example, you know, Michael Jordan was one of the, if not the greatest basketball player but in history. But, but what was it when his parents were only less than six foot tall, five foot something, you see? And he became, and didn't play basketball. But what, look at him. Or what, what is it when this four-year-old little girl gets on the piano and play Mahler or Beethoven? What is that? <laughs> you see? You know, it's, it's this level of internal knowledge that you have from your DNA that needs to surface. <laughs> and more of us need to be in touch with that and let it flow. Empirical knowledge and instinct. Would you, is instinct the same as gut? It's exactly the same. And I say gut stands for God uttering time out, where he's just saying, wait, step back, think about this, draw from your experiences before you take action. There's your word, action. I like that. Thank you. What's next for you, Dr. Roberts? Well, I'm going to continue to develop in the Bahamas where I'm the largest African-American developer. Uh, also, in, the, in December of 2019, uh, I was installed as a king in Ghana, Africa, in the Adai region for economic development. And, uh, and also, I went to Sierra Leone, where they made me a what's called a paramount chief. So I'm, I'm carrying a, a very high definition in Africa right now of who I am and, and recognition in both countries. I was, you know, fully engaged uh, and I brought a, a group of businessmen to Ghana, uh, all of whom were all renamed. Uh, Pastor Jamal Bryant was, was, was divine and stood as a king and for uh, uh, religious practices. And I was defined as a king. Now, the term king, it's important for me to make this note. I'll say it very quickly. Uh, in Africa, uh, king was uh, what you might know as a chief now. And that was what was used. But when the British came and colonized parts of Africa, they said to everyone, you can't use that word king anymore because there's only one king, and that's the king of England. So they stopped it. 
but now that we've gone through the 400-year return of the royals returning of all of us to Ghana and other parts of Africa, those of us in the diaspora, that is, uh, we are now recognizing that term and pulling it back up again. So my actual African name is Nene, which is a king, you would call me Nene, uh, a coffee, Kabul Akanse. That's actually who I am now. <laughs> uh, and uh, if I'm over there, I'm, I'm treated, in, frankly, like royalty. Uh, we over here don't get it yet. Uh, we don't realize what was taken away from us as a result of slavery. But if we, I, I'm encouraging everybody listening to please, please go to Africa. Go almost anywhere, but, you know, Ghana specifically, Sierra Leone, South Africa, if you choose, uh, Nigeria. I've spoken there before. I've given speeches in these countries. And the reality is Africa is the wealthiest uh, nation on the face of the earth, and yet it's the poorest. It has more gold, diamonds, bauxite, all the natural minerals uh, that people consider to be valuable uh, on the continent, and yet we still are seeing, you know, barefoot kids, so to speak. So uh, I would like to direct some more attention uh, to introducing entrepreneurship and beginning to get more engaged uh, uh, in on the continent. Uh, I think that that's an important thing. Uh, and it will also bring, I think, good resources uh, and the mindset for, for those of us in the diaspora to, to really be get connected uh, with uh, Africa as our homeland. Uh, so that and, of course, as I said, in the Bahamas, uh, uh, I'll continue to build developments. You've seen my property there where I live. Uh, and you know, setting examples wherever I can as a black man trying to set examples of success is something that I believe is important and I'll continue to do. Well, please count me in wherever I can help, you know, with my leadership and experience. And one thing that I've noticed about successful people is the intention and just the passion to give back give back to bring forward um, and talk about that a little bit before we close out every I've, successful people always give back and serve. serving is transformational. And so talk, just talk to us a little bit about some of the things that you've done in the community and the importance of service. Well, I, I know I started off uh, right out of school uh, moving two blocks from the projects in, in St. Louis where I lived for 10 years and was elected to the St. Louis City Council of the Board of Aldermen. I served eight years there. Uh, so I've always had a commitment to the, the political well-being of our community and being a voice uh, and an influencer in, in the political world. Uh, and I've been able to advise presidents United States presidents as well as, uh, you know, congresspersons. Uh, I continue to do that I, where I can. Uh, I, I think it's important. I know when Barack Obama placed me on the 
National Advisory Council for Innovation and Entrepreneurship that serving in that consulting capacity uh, was something that was beneficial, I believe, in, in light of the fact that there was only two blacks on the, on the whole group of 28, of which there were, uh, we, we sat with the Secretary of Commerce, uh, the founder of AOL uh, sat next to me. Uh, there were uh, a blend of, of uh, just a few entrepreneurial, serial entrepreneurs like myself, uh, but also there was venture capitalists, angel capitalists, and I noticed several presidents of colleges. And, and I looked at that, I wrote about that in my book. I said, you know, it's interesting how we had one black, there were two blacks in the whole group. The other, uh, the other one was a good guy. He was dean of the business school at Howard. But I was the only black entrepreneur. And, and there were no presidents of any black colleges. And as I've sat and realized that a lot of research, the research labs that are taking place is creating uh, new ideas, innovative thinking. Uh, it's coming out of the white schools with funding from the federal government. And so my thoughts were, well, why don't we have more of that within our HBCUs? So I started visiting with some of the Congress uh, black congressman uh, at a black caucus here and there, and I would I would say, listen, you know, let's let's beef up uh, some research money that could go into the HBCUs. Uh, a good example of, of of what happens if you and with research in colleges, uh, if, if you look at Florida University of Florida, the Gators, they uh, they had a research lab that ended up paying off because their research lab actually invented Gatorade. And so the Florida Gators created the Gatorade. Uh, so we can only imagine maybe the resources that would have come to the school as a result of that. Uh, so laboratories and research uh, need to be enhanced at our HBCUs, uh, especially in technology, STEM, you know, science, uh, technology, uh, engineering, math, you know, this, this needs to be a very important growth factor for uh, our HBCUs. Uh, I, wanted, I, I hold two honorary doctorates from HBCUs, and, uh, and it's, as I speak to the commencements of those schools, you know, I'm looking out at a number of very bright young people graduating, uh, and and they and they're still at a loss, I think, for, for what you know what's next in their life. So, more of us need to spend time uh, advising and counseling uh, and setting examples for our HBC. And that's the importance of this podcast for people like you to not only. Um, impart information, but inspiration. So, and I've just learned so much more about you. I mean, you and I um, have been friends for years and you always are so gracious with your time and opinions and leadership when I've reached out to you, but I've learned so much more about you today and thank you for your time and um, 
people that listen to this podcast, they always walk away inspired. So this episode um, is no different. So as we close, I always like to just kind of do a few little rapid fire questions to get my listeners to just really know who our um, expert speakers are on a personal level. So if you're ready, Dr. Roberts, as we close, um, what's your favorite vacation place? Well, at this point, it's it's the Bahamas. I mean, it's, it's almost, uh, it goes without saying, because it's it's where I go frequently and it's relaxing and it's, it's, it's my favorite vacation place right now. What's your favorite book or movie? I think most recently I was reading uh, a book called The Wealth Choice, and uh, I, was, I was glad to read it because they quoted me in it. <laughs> um, but that was, a really, that was a really good one. But I'm like so many people. I'm always a fan of The Godfather and, and all of those. Uh, uh, that trilogy is it, kind of fun to watch from time to time. But... Um, I, I saw Coming to America 2 recently, and there are some funny points in there that's, <laughs> that's got me laughing. The Wealth Choice is a good book. That's, you know, one of our former guests, Dr. Dennis Kimbrough. And, yes, you were quoted in there. Um, um, wow. And we have you now on our podcast. Well, thank you. This has been so amazing. You have heard listeners today, the man who has coined the phrase actionaire. Action has no season. Um, he has two books and his second book is action has no season 2.0. Please purchase those and read those and add those to your library. They will surely inspire you. So Dr. Roberts, for your time, your commitment, all your contributions to the body of work of entrepreneurship, I personally want to thank you and thank you for being a guest on mind your business. You're quite welcome. And thank you for having me. My pleasure. A special thanks to Dr. Roberts for his time and to you for listening. I really hope you learned and took something away from today's episode. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me on my socials, which are linked in the episode description. And again, if you like what you heard, subscribe, leave a rating, and share it with your network. Thank you for listening and mind your business.